This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Amen. Come on, somebody give another hand to Jesus for what he's doing today. Come on, make it intentional. He's good all the time. Somebody say amen to that. Well, we're in week number two of a series called Easter People. Look at your neighbor and say, you look like an Easter person. (laughs) Easter people, Easter people. Really excited to continue this uh, message series today. Last week, we talked about, laid the framework for the people that are around the Easter story. There are a lot of people involved in that series of events and those moments, it's so powerful. Last week we talked about Mary Magdalene. Did you, did you guys enjoy learning a different perspective about Mary Magdalene? She's not the drug addict prostitute under a bridge you thought she was before you came to church. She was a boss lady. And it's a, an important thing that we, we understand the people in the Bible. It makes the story of the resurrection and all, just that much more rich. And so if you missed it last week, please go back and listen to that. Today we're going to talk about the people that were Jesus's closest friends and and what was going on with them after the death of Jesus. We're going to go to John chapter 20, verse 19 through 23. You can follow along on the screens in your Bible or on the YouVersion Bible app. Our sermons are uploaded. Our sermon notes are uploaded there every Sunday if you'd like to follow along there. As well. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were, say it out loud, say it out loud, they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As the father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It's a lot to unpack there. And before we do, put your hand over your heart and let's pray that we're ready for this word. Father, would you open up? Our hearts today, would it be your words and not mine? And would the word of God that's coming through these speakers and coming through uh, the Bible, would it just do something in us that is just life-changing? May we not leave here the same way we walked in. If you believe that and are saying that prayer over yourself, say amen. Amen. How many of you have flown in an airplane before? You've flown in an airplane before? Okay, how many of you like, let's say, how many of you are window seat people? Your window seat people, hold it up, hold it up. Hey, now first service, it was almost everybody was a window seat person. How many of you are aisle seat people? All right, I know second service is always more my people. I know it, I knew it, I knew it. Now how many of you are middle seat people? Look around, look around. Tammy, is your hand up? Lord have mercy, you lie, you fry, Tammy. You're the only one in the entire church that's raised their hand to that question today. I love it. I love it. Now I have to change my notes. Most of us are not (laughs) middle seat people. Why? We don't like the middle. How many of you are middle children? (laughs) We're like, there's, we're, we're like, I don't like the middle. There's even a Disney show called stuck in the middle. We don't like being in the middle. We feel stuck. When we're in the middle of something, we feel stuck. That's true in a seat. It's true in a situation. When you're on a project and you're trying to do something, the beginning is exciting. The ending is a celebration. But it's in the middle where we get bogged down. When we started the church over eight years ago and we were, it's 2014 and we had just bought 
all of this equipment and, and the dream was starting to materialize and we had been training for seven months and, and we were all at the church civic center and we had rented it for an equipment training day and our trailers came all the way down from Detroit. We hired these guys to drive them all the way down from Michigan. They were brand new and full of brand new equipment and you should have heard the celebration. The beginning was exciting. Learning how to use a mobile diaper changer was even exciting. Learning how to use these brand new coffee makers was exciting. People are like, oh my gosh, I get to unroll these mats every single week for perpetuity until we buy land. Aren't you excited? The beginning was exciting, but it's the middle. When you've been at a mother-daughter retreat and got home at midnight, that Sunday morning's a little rough. It's in the middle. It's in the middle where, where things start to feel like work. It's in the middle where you get bogged down. You start a business, like I'm gonna start this business, it's exciting. You get the whiteboard out, you're dreaming big stuff. There's all these ideas on there. It's, I'm gonna do this, our app is gonna do this, our business is gonna do this, our store is gonna make Walmart beg for mercy. Everything is just a dream. At that moment, we're just brainstorming here, but then the middle comes. And you got to fill out all the paperwork with the Texas Secretary of State. And you got to talk to the IRS, which you know is full of the devil. And you know, all these things are just testing your patience. And, and you're wondering, God, is this what the middle is? Everything starts to get bogged down because all of the stuff that was on the whiteboard, now somebody's actually got to do it. Now somebody's got to do <laughs> all this stuff. Somebody's actually got to execute everything you wrote down. Who's actually going to take care of all these Details, it's in the middle where we feel pretty far from where we started out. It's in the middle when most people are tempted to give up. Nobody goes on their honeymoon saying, you know what, this, this didn't work out. It's when you're 40, 45 years old and you wake up and go, why are you the way you are? Did your mother drop you too many times? Like, why are you this way? That's when you're 40s. They don't call it a beginning of life crisis. I've never heard a four-year-old go, well, it's me. That's never a four-year-old. It's always a mid-life crisis. It's in the middle where everybody wants to get, up, get to give up. It's in the middle where it's hard. There's fear in the middle. You're wondering, you're scared. You're trying to figure this thing out because the excitement is gone. And there's some frustration in the middle. There's definitely fear in the middle. The book of Nehemiah, probably the greatest story of a church building project undertaken by people. In 52 days, they said, we're gonna build this wall. Now, since we own five acres on the interstate and I've been talking to developers and project managers for our neighboring properties, I can tell you it's not possible in 52 days. They take about 20 days to send back a reply email. It will not get done in 52 days. And they said, we're going to build this wall in 52 days and we're going boldly where no man's ever gone before. Nehemiah 4, 6. So we rebuilt the wall till it all reached how much? Half of its height. Half. Okay, the whole wall is done. Halfway. It's going to be a big wall to keep people out, but right now it's just halfway done. Now notice the next verse, 410. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Now, they were only church planning for two months. Some of y'all been on my setup team for eight years. You are way more of a boss than what Nehemiah had, I believe, because they're quitters. I've been doing this for eight years. Anyway, this is, I read the Bible differently than you. It's okay. The strength of the laborers is failing. There's so much junk, so many problems. I didn't see this coming. There's so much rubbish. I don't want to do this anymore. I've got to build the wall. What happened? They hit a slump in the middle. They went from, this is the best idea God's ever had. I'm the best dream teamer God's ever had. And come hell or high water, we're going to see this church. And they're preaching to themselves to all the way down to, how long is this going to take? How long? How long? In the middle, fear can overtake us and we start to get worried that it's never going to happen. Another story I thought of was uh, on the Sea of Galilee, probably one of the most scary things the disciples had ever gone through 
in the Bible was the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And this is when they gave up all hope, Matthew 14. The boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. The boat was now in the exact middle of the sea. It was in the middle that they began to lose heart. It was in the middle when they lost focus. It was in the middle when they thought they were going to die, when they thought they were going to drown. And that is exactly what's happening to Jesus's followers in this Easter story on the day that he showed up in the middle of the room. They were in the middle of their fear. They were afraid. They felt stuck. They didn't think they were ever going to get out of this situation. And they thought that people were coming for them next. So let's look at John 20, 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. Behind locked doors. Where do you feel stuck right now? Where do you sense that you are hiding behind locked doors? Maybe for you, you're like, I'm not going to a small group because the last time I let somebody in, they hurt me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that, that my heart is Guantanamo Bay. Nobody's getting in here. I let Jesus in. That's all I need, which is not true biblically, actually. I'll end up getting hurt later if you don't let people in. The Bible is very clear in the book of James. We go to God for forgiveness. We go to people for healing. You need people in your life to help you walk through life's pain. And I wonder if you're stuck in this, in in a possible season where you are stuck behind a locked door. Disciples were afraid. Jesus had just been killed. And you don't want to miss next week where we talk about what they did with the body of Christ. But he's gone. Like the disciples that were hiding in the house, they don't know what happened to his body because they weren't the ones that took it off the cross because they were hiding. And you know who did show up at the crucifixion? A bunch of ladies. Come on, women, where are you at? The dudes were hiding and the ladies were like, forget you suckers. And they went and just stood. A lot of boldness. The Greek uh, where it said that it was locked is more emphatic. It basically means it had like seven deadbolts. The Greek there says it was barred completely shut, almost like a safe at a bank. There's no way you're getting in. They had went to Jerusalem's Home Depot and bought every lock they could find. And and they made sure no one could get in. They're double locking the door. Why? Because they were afraid. And how many of you know fear makes you do dumb stuff? Fear makes you leave a church when you get mad. Fear makes you leave a marriage when everything feels scary. Fear, Fear makes you discipline your kids too harshly. Fear makes you quit a job. Fear fear makes you start a job you shouldn't have started. Fear makes you do dumb stuff. The disciples were in this moment. They were completely afraid. That's why I had you repeat the word afraid earlier because they were so afraid. They were spooked. One commentator I read this week, and this is where we get some of the purpose plus information. So if you want to follow the church's podcast, we do an extra podcast every series where we just kind of tell you all the stuff that we studied that we didn't get to bring to the platform. And so this one will be really fun. The next Purpose Plus will be great because it's all the Easter stuff. But I brought a little bit of it out for today because it was pretty cool. This commentator said that they were huddled together and every sound was foreboding. It's like everything was scary. And they could hear footsteps and they're wondering where it is. They're hearing voices. Seven days. They're like, oh, did you hear that? Did 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 you hear that? They expected at any moment for a crowbar to come through uh, their, their door that they had just barred shut and Jerusalem's SWAT team was gonna take them to Golgotha themselves. And then Jesus comes into the room without unlocking the door, without even opening the door. He didn't knock. The brother just shows up, turns on the lights and says, hey, peace be with you, brethren. I think this is hilarious. Because Jesus could have knocked on the door. He was fully human at that moment. He could have done that and the dude just walks through the door. He intentionally chose to show up in the middle of the moment of fear. In the middle of the moment of being stuck. Now he didn't have to do that. When they were running to this house to lock themselves in, he could have walked with them and said, hey guys, there's no need to do that. I'm here. Let's go have a resurrection barbecue. Like, let's go. I'm here. Y'all call everybody. 
let's do it, roast the pig. They probably would have done that because they were Jews, but just brisket, that's God's meat. Come on, somebody, that's God. Y'all go to Jerusalem's Bucky's and let's go. He could have done that, but instead, he let them go there and hide under the kitchen table, turn off the lights, lock the door, shut the blinds. And he showed up in the middle of their fear. When they felt like they were locked up, when they felt like they couldn't get out, that's when he chose to come. The J.B. Phillips translation of the Bible says that it was a dark evening. Sun had already gone down. A dark evening. You've seen horror movies. They don't happen at noon. Texas Chainsaw Massacre wasn't at brunch. It's always at night in some dude's creepy garage. And they always open the door they shouldn't open. It was dark. It was scary. It was foreboding. They were hiding. There was fear in their hearts. And then Jesus comes and stands right in the middle, right in the middle of them. They're huddled up and he appears right in the middle and says, peace be with you. Comfort was the outcome of Jesus in the middle. Comfort. And I really believe this is a word from God for our church, for me and you personally, probably even our world, that right in the middle of what you're facing, right in the middle of the fear, right in the middle of what you're looking at, Jesus wants to show up. Like the disciples that were on the sea, God showed up right in the middle. We can go all the way back to the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and there was a fourth man in the fire. He shows up, and when he does, you will find peace and comfort. And the Bible says that Jesus showed up right in the middle. So what was the outcome? What was the outcome? The outcome of Jesus in the middle was calm. Everyone say calm. Now, usually if you're a parent, you say the word calm when you're yelling. <laughs> calm down. You know, it's like you're, it's, it's, you're not very calm when you say the word calm down. But Jesus brought calm to the moment. And they were comforted. So a couple of points. Number one, they were calmed by his presence alone. And it could have ended there, but it didn't. The verse goes on, but they were calmed by his presence. And I want you to see in this text that the presence of Jesus made all the difference because how they went into that house was the exact opposite of how they came into that house. They came in afraid, they came up hunched over, they came in with their hoodies on and they went out triumphant and bold and comforted. It was like a child that comes into a parent's bed with a nightmare, crying and frantic and sweaty. And eventually, there's a calming moment. And the child can now go out to their own bed, hopefully rapidly. And everyone said, amen. The disciples were calmed by his presence. When we read the book of Acts, we see Peter standing up boldly. We see John proclaiming. We see that they're standing there with perfect posture, completely unafraid and unfazed. They're beaten and they're told to never, ever preach again. And then they say, we can't listen to you. We respect you. We respect your office. We honor you as authorities over this nation, but we will listen to God. And if you have to beat us, then beat us. And we will count it an honor to be beaten for Jesus Christ's sake. Now that's a different disciple than the one that was cutting ears off, lying about knowing Jesus and hiding under a table. That's a different disciple. Peter denying Jesus and now he's owning Jesus. What happened? What's the difference? The difference was the presence of Jesus. If all you have is the knowledge of Jesus, you're still afraid. You can know everything about the Bible and still live like hell on earth. But it's the presence of Jesus that changes everything. I thought that when Christ died on the cross that we were saying goodbye. They thought that they were saying goodbye to Jesus in their lives forever. They didn't think it was going to end that way. But when he rose and more specifically when he ascended, he secured for all of us the particulars of his presence at all times, in every place, through the spirit of Christ. He's in, he's in every gathering. He's in every home. He's in every cubicle. He's in every checkout line. He's in every life of a follower of Jesus. And that is a promise. 
And why would they have been calmed by his presence? Well, this is easy. Presence unlocks peace. He is the prince of peace. He doesn't give peace. He is peace. So when he walks into the room, peace controls the room. When he walks into the room, everything changes. That's how he could speak to the situation. And now we gotta, under, we gotta understand and reframe what peace is because we often think that peace is the absence of trouble. But peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is simply the presence of God. If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, he is present and he's present in every situation, that means that even in trouble, I can have peace. So right now, in the middle of economic uncertainty, right now in the middle of perhaps an unemployment line for you, or fear or worry, you never thought you loved eggs so much, did you? Peace in the middle of those relational contentions, right here in the middle of your situation, Jesus offers perfect peace because he is your peace. But that's only true if you've, if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Jesus is perfect peace. And so in growing close to Jesus, you're actually moving closer to peace. You're calmed by his presence alone. Circumstances notwithstanding, comfort comes when the prince of peace walks in the room. Number two, they were calmed by his words also. They were calmed by his words. So his presence, just being there with them, changed their demeanor, changed their situation, but they were calmed by his words. For as he opened his mouth, as he spoke those words, I give you peace. He said, my peace I give to you, peace be with you. They were calmed. The circumstances didn't change. They were very much still in danger. They, they, they were running buddies with the zealot. They were running buddies with the, ones that, the one that was trying to overthrow the government. They, they were going to be indicted also. That did not change. And almost all of them, except for John, according to some theologians, would go on to die for their deaths. Peter would be crucified upside down. Bartholomew was beheaded. And I just even read this week, and I don't know if it's true, so don't send me an email. But I read that John might have actually been boiled in oil for his faith. If that is true, and I don't know if it is, I'm gonna look at it some more. If that is true, then all of them died for the sake of Christ. And all Jesus is asking you to do is make a difference with your life. Their great fears, what's interesting is that the great fear they had when they were hiding under the table, all those fears actually came to pass. They actually did die. It actually happened. It, it came to be. But they no longer had reason to fear it which is the difference maker here. What they were facing didn't change, but the resources of his word in them changed them. And this isn't like a peace sign. This isn't like, you know, Nixon, I'm not a, this is not like, this is not a peace sign. This is, because you know what, what that really does is it dumbs it down. So when we say peace in the United States, we're just like later. That's not what Jesus was saying. He wasn't like, hey guys, let's calm down. That's not what he was saying. He was actually, he wasn't saying things like, when we say peace, we're like, hey, I hope things don't go bad for you. I hope things are, are, are going better for you. He's, he's not saying like, make peace, not war. He's not saying things like that. What's, what is, he's actually saying, which you've heard this word before, but it's the Hebrew word shalom. What does it actually mean? The word that Jesus was tapping into was deeply rooted in Middle Eastern culture and the belief system that we find in the Old Testament, which was the faith of the Jews. Shalom spoke to a wholeness of well-being that came from God giving you every good gift. When he says, may God's peace be with you, Jesus is saying, may God give you every perfect gift. May God give you every good thing. May, may you be totally well, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, and may in every way you be whole. That's what shalom means. And you and I can have that wash over us too. And we can, uh, we can see that peace can come. Now you and I are really good at making circumstances for our lives that almost destroy it. Aren't we? But even in the middle of those messes, 
If we come closer to God and we invite Christ in, peace comes with him because it can't not come with him because he is the prince of peace. And all you English teachers, I know it's a double negative. Don't care. It has to come. It has to be there. He is peace. So whatever mess you're in, whatever mess you've made, he is in it. And I'm telling you, you can rejoice now that he has a plan for you even in the middle of that mess. He's still seeking to give you every good gift now. So his peace is with you. And even in, and I would say like, we gotta stop praying and asking God to take the pain away. We gotta stop praying foolish prayers like, God, if you make this go, go away, I'll serve you forever once a quarter on the dream team. We gotta stop praying foolish, childish prayers like that. We, our prayers need to be, God, I am a dead person and I'm only alive because of Christ. If you're asking me to go through this pain, I'll do it, but I'm asking you to be in the middle. Be in the middle of the room. Number three, they were calmed by his wounds. Now this one's interesting. I gotta develop this out for you for a minute. The text actually says, look at verse 20, as he spoke, he showed them. They didn't ask. He showed them the wounds in his side. Thomas was the only one that asked. And Thomas wasn't in the room the first time. Thomas was there the second time and at the fish fry, the third time he showed up. Jesus Jesus showed up three different times. Showed up twice in the house where they were and then was standing on the side and said, hey, throw the net over there and bring the fish back. And they literally had a fish fry. That's how Jesus went out. Pretty cool. He showed them the wounds in his side, in his hands, and in his ankles, in his feet. And then the Bible says they were glad. They were glad. The Amplified Translation says that they were exultant, ecstatic. There was ecstasy in the air. Their gladness boiled over. And why would his wounds comfort them? You would think it would just be a reminder of the terrible thing that just happened. But they were glad. For one thing, it gave them confidence that it really was Jesus. That it really was him and not just that they were all hungry and it was an apparition. Even further, Jesus proved that it was his actual resurrected body because he asked them for food. Ghosts can't eat. Jesus was like, hey, it's a hard work being down in hell for three days kicking butt. Y'all got any fish? I'm hungry. The Bible's way more fun than y'all read it, by the way. It's just so much fun. When you see what's actually going on and the actual moments and the personalities involved, they were real people. And this was a very scary moment. And Jesus proves the truth yet again. You might be feeling that what you went through, that what you've seen is death. And that you, you might not be able to see any way out of it. You might be thinking there's no way God can resurrect this marriage. You might be thinking there's no way that God can resurrect this friendship. There's no way that God can resurrect my relationships here with my parents. There's no, no way God's gonna be able to resurrect that but they were comforted and calmed by his wounds because the last time they saw those wounds it represented the worst that ever happened but then resurrection happened there was a moment there was an easter moment that happened when Pilate washed his hands and he said let him be crucified everything they thought that life was going to be in a moment vanished and those wounds were the center of it all. Those wounds in their head were to them the worst thing imaginable. And now he brings those same wounds to them and says, check it out. You thought life was over because of what you're going through and I'm telling you, God is at this moment calming things with the reality of his wounds. He was calming people then, he's calming people now. And God has a plan to reconcile all things even unto himself. He has a plan to redeem it. He has a plan to restore it. And not even death can stop that from happening. They were calmed by his wounds. This is counterintuitive, isn't it? He's reminding them. Showing his wounds to them. 
And Jesus' focus is always on what he has done for us, not what we can do for him. Jesus didn't show up like an angry nun in that room. Say, quote the Ten Commandments right now. If you had believed them, you wouldn't be hiding under the table. Back. Some of y'all went to Catholic school. I'm triggering you right now. I'm so sorry. He didn't say, you remember what I told you on the Sermon of the Mount? Why did you forget it? He didn't come and bring shame. He didn't even mention Peter chopping an ear off and lying about him three times. He didn't mention that, that why were none of you at my crucifixion? You all got an invite and none of you came. He didn't do any of that, which you and I would have done. Be like, where were you suckers at? When they were making me drink vinegar. Where were y'all? They were hiding while Jesus' own mother watched him be beaten and killed. They were so afraid. Fear gripped their heart to the point where Jesus knew they were so afraid of these wounds. I've got to use them to bring them out of that fear. I've got to use them. And it was counterintuitive. And Jesus instead didn't shame them. He came to bring them into that truth. Look what I've already done for you. It's over. It's over. He's saying that now you can have a relationship with God in the middle of the storm. Save the turtle doves and baby goats. They don't need to die anymore because this is the last sacrifice ever needed for eternity for sin. Isn't that good news? You're very quiet in this Methodist church. You're going to need to say amen louder than that because this is your salvation we're talking about. Peace is not about what we do for God. And some of you, you're like, I'm going to go to 9,000 small groups. I'm going to serve on every dream team. I'm going to show God. I mean business. That's super unnecessary. That doesn't impress God at all. It just shows him you can't manage your calendar and you have an addictive personality. (laughs) What you actually need to do is make a friend. Meet somebody. Get in the word every day. Spiritually cover your home. And remember the wounds of Christ. We have a chance to do that later with communion up here. And I invite you to take it. Number four, they were also calmed by his mission. And this is an interesting one too. What does that mean? They were calmed by his mission. They were suddenly anchored by his presence and peace and his payment that he made for them on the cross. He showed it to them. And then he gives them a mission. And they were calmed by that too. Look at the verse, it says, and as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And the word sent there in the Greek is a diplomatic phrase. It means ambassador. The United States has embassies all over the world and the ambassador to those countries is the voice of the president to that country. And Jesus chose to use it, because Greek has four different words for sent, and he chose to use the word for ambassador in that moment. It's very interesting that they were now being sent in an official capacity from the embassy because now they're part of a new kingdom. There's a new king in town and now they are ambassadors of the king. Isn't that good news? And now they get to live on a higher level and they have some sort of diplomatic immunity from the fear that comes from life circumstances because they're an ambassador of Christ. You get to live above the storm when you're an ambassador and all you're sent. If you're, if you work in the home, you're sent to that home. If you work for UPS, if you work for Amazon, a hospital, a grocery store, if you're a first responder, whatever you do, you are sent to that situation you are in. And we're going to do a series this summer called Sent. Every summer we do a deep dive into one big subject, do it all together. We're going to do one off this book, appropriately entitled Sent. And we're all going to read the book together. Every small group's going to be about it. And we're going to dig in as to how did God wire us to be ambassadors and what is this call? What does this mean for me? We're going to do it all together. It's going to be really, really fun. Let's get through Easter first, but that's going to be really cool. And I saw this week as I was studying and it really blessed me. Jesus had to repeat himself. And anytime Jesus or God or anybody repeats themselves, you need to figure out why. 
because every time there's a reason, it's not because they forgot. There's a reason they had to repeat themselves and see, look at verse 21. And again, he said, peace be with you. Now he said it when he floated into the room and freaked him out and said, peace be with you. And then he showed them the holes and the everything. And then they freaked out excitedly. And he said, now peace be with you. Why did he have to say it again? He said, I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them. This was pre-COVID. It's still too soon. I'm sorry. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. And you might be thinking, what does that mean? It's the same, means the same thing Romans 10, 14 means. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how, they can hear, how can they hear about him if their neighbors don't tell them? See, if we don't preach, if we don't go, if we don't go on diplomatic mission, the official, if we don't go on the official work on behalf of the embassy of heaven, how can anybody in this world ever know about the good news you and I know? And that's what those invitations on your chair are for. If you don't have it, it's stuck to you. It's on your seat. Think of one person that needs that invitation this week. One person. We're not asking you to stick it inside a windshield wiper or put it in a mailbox. That's actually a federal crime. Don't, you're not a mailman. You can't do that. Don't cop out on this invitation. Keep it in your pocket with you all week long. And then every morning, get it out and pray for it and say, God, who's supposed to get this this week? And even if it's crumpled or ugly, it's okay. Because you get to say, hey, I've been carrying this around all week long. That's why it looks like this. And I've been asking God every day for who's supposed to get it. And it's you. So sorry, it looks like this, but can you come sit with me on Easter? And the, the URL is still legible, so can you, can you come sit with me on Easter? I'd love for you to come with me. And they say, why? And don't say, because we're gonna have bouncy castles and Easter eggs. That's not, whatever, don't, that's not it. You tell them why you are an Easter person. And you tell them that you thought you deserved to be six feet beneath the earth for all the things you've done, the things you've said, the choices made that you regret that you'd still be lost if not for the mercy of God. That's what you tell them. You tell them your story. You're on mission, everybody. And then the next week after Easter is growth track. And the greatest omission is by not living on mission. It, the world needs what God has created you with. So if you've not taken that step, it is absolutely imperative that you do because you're an ambassador. You're not a citizen. You're an ambassador. And what we do right here, this is not church. This is not Christianity. Church services are not Christianity. This is a pep rally for disciples. This is where we get together and learn and grow and meet new friends, meet new disciples. And then we go out and do our work for seven days. And then we come back and tell everybody. And then we do it again. That's what Sundays are. And lastly, we can be calmed by his spirit. They were calmed by his spirit. Jesus didn't speak peace as he sent them. He breathed on them. It says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. Whatever you're dealing with, there's power in you because the Holy Spirit comes on you when you get saved. And the Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Easter power is in you. So wherever you go, he goes. And no matter whatever hellish situation you walk into, peace just walked in the room. In the Septuagint, which is the, the Greek transliteration of the Old Testament in Hebrew, it's the same word. It's, it's the Greek word pneuma. It's where we get the word pneumatic. It's like when you go to discount tire and they're like, bruh, bruh, choo, choo, choo. those are pneumatic drills. They're air powered. Most of our English words come from Greek, by the way, which is kind of fun. And so it's this pneuma, this breath, this internal surge of pressure and power is in you. There's other words for breath they could have used but they use the one that meant they're breathing power into you, not just physical breath. 
go to like miniature Bible school for a minute. It's no mistake that this word was used in Genesis chapter two. It's the same one that's used in John. God formed man from the dust of the earth and then breathed into his nostrils and man became a living being, alive because of God's pneuma. Just as that took place with the first Adam, the New Testament calls Jesus the second Adam. Where Adam failed in the garden, Jesus succeeded in the garden. Before going to the cross, Jesus passed through the garden of Gethsemane and he fell to the ground. The same dust, the same ground out of which God brought Adam. God even redeemed the dirt. Jesus, the new Adam here in this garden did not fail, he did not falter. And because of what he accomplished in the second garden, he was able to send out his spirit for all of us to not just be alive through, not just to be alive at this moment, but to be alive in Christ and filled with the same power to do what we could never do on our own. The first Adam, his failure took place when he and his wife took the forbidden fruit from a tree. But the second Adam, who's still breathing on these moments, just like this, breathing on his people, breathing through even the live stream at this moment, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, his greatest victory happened on a tree. John 19 says here, they crucified him with two others on each side. And notice, Jesus is still in his rightful spot. Where? In the middle. He's always been in the middle. He's never gonna abdicate his spot in the middle. And because of what Jesus did in the middle of two criminals who deserved to die, he died right there in the center. That our sins would be paid for, that our sins would be forgiven so that you and I could be right with God. That's what the word righteousness means. It never meant perfect. Righteousness means in right relationship with the Father. And you and I in our own power can never be in right relationship with God, no matter how many baby goats you kill will never be in right relationship with God that can only come by accepting the Prince of Peace as your Lord and Savior. And we're right with God because his son hung in the middle. And no matter what you're feeling and no matter what your emotional state is like today, I wanna speak life over you and comfort over you today that Jesus even, in, even today is right here in the middle of this room. And you might leave here today and your circumstances are the same. They might even get worse. But there's no longer any fear in the middle because you invited the Prince of Peace to the middle. He's there. And I believe right now Jesus is here for you. Fear can't keep him out. Locked doors can't keep him out. But now you have a responsibility to do with his presence what you will. The disciples could have run from him, opened the door and ran away, but they chose to accept that he was the true king right there in the middle of the room. And you have that same decision today. You can leave here today and go, that was bull. I'm not gonna believe that. I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna make this work. You're free to do that. The striving is, striving, the word striving is found nowhere in the Bible except in a negative sense. So you can try, but at the end of the day, you will be found wanting because there's only one person who can give you peace and it's not you. It's only Christ. He's wanting to breathe on you and bring power to you and peace to your situation. At the end of our service every Sunday, we do what we call response time. We're gonna get ready for that now. What that means is every time we deliver a message to you, now you need to respond to it. And we work this into our service because we don't want you to just get home and things get busy and the kids are hungry and then you forget. And then Tuesday walks, comes around, and you're like, I don't even remember what church was about. Anybody been there? I've been there and I preached it. Yeah, we've all been there. We wanted to give you a moment, a safe moment, a Holy Ghost filled moment to do business with what you just heard. It's not freaky. No one's gonna breathe on you. In fact, that's in the aorist tense and only God does that. So if you ever go to a church and they breathe in your face, run, they have bad theology. No one's gonna knock you over and scare you. They're just gonna pray for you. 
and they're gonna bring life to that situation because they've got Jesus in them. And then if you receive Jesus today, Jesus comes into you and then you can leave here with peace in the middle of that mess. We're gonna pray for a couple, uh, we're gonna pray for that and then we're gonna pray for salvation too. Everybody go ahead and stand to your feet. I'm gonna ask the prayer team to go ahead and come on down. Somebody say, he's in the middle. He's in the middle. The prayer team is here because every Sunday they're here. No matter what you're going through, they want to pray with you. They want to help bring peace to the situation. Let them bring courage to your situation, whatever it is. Whatever your proverbial locked door is, bring Jesus to the middle of it today. Don't leave here locked up in fear. Take a step forward. Landon, I'm, I'm not a front of the room kind of person. Who really is? You know, it's take a step forward. Take a step forward. Believe that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he'll bring peace to that locked door. He'll bring peace to that room. Father, I pray for a fresh breath from heaven. Come on, just hold your hands out to receive that. It's like you're, you're getting ready to catch something. I receive that deep sense of comfort. I, I receive that calm because of your presence. I receive the truth that your wounds are real. And now there's peace in my moment. And God, we're going to see things that are the same that they were last week the same things that we saw yesterday, but now I see them with different vision. Help us see this, God. Not as a cross to bear, but an opportunity to be the light and to shine brightly in a hope that is now ours because of Christ. Thank you, God, for what we've received through your presence today. In Jesus' name. Now I want to pray for those who have never trusted in Jesus for salvation. Everybody look up at me. There's people in this room. I don't know what your salvation status is. We don't scan you when you walk in the building. I, I don't know. And maybe you don't even know. And maybe you're just tired of this rat race. Our kid used to have a hamster and, that, and Teddy would just go nuts on that little wheel. And I just always thought about, man, I felt like that a lot. I felt like a rat going in circles. Hamsters are rats in my opinion. I felt like Teddy. I felt like that. You're just tired and angry, living in your own filth, exhausted, wondering if you're ever gonna make it out of this cage. Wondering if you're ever gonna get out of the wheel. And some of you are just so stinking tired because you've been your own Jesus for too long. And it's not working because you're not him. And you're wondering if this is ever gonna get better and You've not trusted Jesus for your salvation. You've trusted yourself. and You're still on this kick of, I'm gonna to try to do good things for God. I'm gonna be kind. I'm gonna be good. I'm gonna tip God a little bit when I get a little bit of extra. And that's great, whatever, but it's not about you being kind or good. We should all be that anyway, because we should just be nice humans. But it's not about what you can do. It's about what he's already done. And have you received what he's paid for? If someone asked to pay off your mortgage, would you go, nah, I got it? No, you'd be like, what? Then you'd be a real Christian, about five seconds. The Lord is here. It's not about something that you can do. It's about what he's already done. Have you received his spirit into your heart as a new believer? And I just want to say boldly today that today's your day. You did not come to an elementary school cafeteria by accident. You did not show up here accidentally. You never come to the purpose church accidentally. God brought you here for a reason, for a purpose. And we wanna pray that you receive what God's already done for you. So I'm gonna say a prayer. And if you're ready to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior, today's your day. 
and you're gonna pray it out loud. The Bible says you have to confess it with your mouth. This is not an internal prayer. Confess it with your mouth that he is Lord and he is faithful and just to receive you as sons and daughters. Isn't that good news? And it can happen in an instant. It doesn't mean your life changes in an instant, but now your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and your family tree forever is completely changed because of one decision you made in a cafeteria in Shirts, Texas. Isn't that amazing? And not only are you gonna pray, but all of these Holy Ghost folks are gonna pray with you because heaven's having a party, the devil's getting a black eye, and that's my favorite part of the day. And we're, we're going to pray boldly and believe that at this moment, all of those false idols you've been serving, the God of money and sex and climbing the ladder, all of those gods are dethroned today, and Jesus Christ is now the king of your life. And you're gonna build your life on his love and not your own striving. So let's all pray it together today. And after we're done praying it out loud, the band is going to sing a song and that's your cue to come receive prayer, come grab communion and worship because he is worthy. Everybody say this out loud with me. Say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't fix myself, but I believe you can. Please come into my heart and make me brand new. Your word tells me that when I confess you as Lord, I'm not renovated, I'm made brand new. So I put the devil on notice that I'm a brand new creation by the blood of Christ and I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name and all of God's saved people say amen and give him praise today in this moment. Come on for the next five seconds, give him your best praise. Heaven's having a party. Your name's written in the book. The Prince of Peace wins. Locked doors don't matter to Christ. He's in the middle. So as the band begins to sing, we're gonna open up our hearts and our ears and we're going to allow Jesus to come into this moment. Father, thank you that we, in this, sec in this moment, can have courage to respond. And I pray for every family represented that they would respond and that their lives would never be the same. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, Tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.